Welcome to episode 124 of Amari Purple Talk, the music podcast where we talk about Prince, Prince-related artists, music, videos, and everything in the purple world of the purple musical singularity. I'm your host, Richard Cole. This week, flying solo once again, uh, we'll return to the guest host format next episode. So let's go ahead and dive in. We've got everything, purple pieces, flashback, spotlight, Twitter questions. But let's get started with the main topic. And what I want to talk about this week is what would be the ultimate Prince compilation. All right, so it was announced that the hits one and two are going to be reissued on vinyl by the Prince Estate and Sony Legacy on November 4th of this year. Uh, It was originally released on September 10th of 1993. And I remember actually purchasing the complete set, which was the hits and the B-sides. Now for some clarification, Back then, um, the hits one and two were sold separately. You can purchase a separate CD, but if you wanted to hear the B-sides, you had to buy the complete set. And basically, um, that was what I was in for. Uh, The, you know, as far as like the hits, I mean, it had a good sequence of songs. And by that time, I had just about everything on CD anyway. So really, my incentive was for the B-sides. Now, the downside, it was just only the single edits of those tracks. Um, But they weren't widely available on CD uh, in any way, shape or form. So that was the, the selling point for me. Uh, Also, too, the liner notes to that set, uh, which were uh, written by Alan Leeds. Uh, Actually, there's going to be more on that in a moment because he also wrote the liner notes to the James Brown box set, Star Time. So, like I said, a little bit later on for that. But but that was it, you know. Um, And actually, I didn't know about Alan Leeds writing the liner notes Uh, for the hits and the B-sides. But once I did buy that set, yeah, it was interesting, you know, getting the origin story of the songs. Um, Prince had done something later on one of his websites um, where he kind of broke down the origin of the majority of the songs that he wrote. Oh, not the majority, but um, the basically the hits in other words uh which is something i hope that he has an extensive record of someplace and if they do some type of box set or extensive compilation that would be something pretty cool to have um but again back in 93 
you know, that was it. But I think once this was announced that it was going to be reissued, uh, there wasn't a lot of, you know, hooray for this one. Um, and, you know, I kind of I kind of agree. Uh, now, granted, this is part of the extensive reissue campaign from earlier this year uh, where we got a good chunk of the classic 80s era. Uh, but I don't know, which is fine, you know, for the casual listener, the main, you know, the mainstream casual fan, um, you know, might have bought Purple Rain back in the day or, you know, at least was part of, you know, of the for you through Purple Rain era and really hadn't checked in on a whole lot of stuff by Prince in the years since. And just to kind of, you know, it's part of their music. It's one of the musics for them. You know, and that's fine. But I don't know. I'm kind of holding out for, I mean, I did buy the reissues to replace some worn out copies. Uh, the sound is a little better on the reissues as opposed to the original CD, say like Dirty Mind or um, Around the World in a Day, you know, just slightly better, but not a remaster. But eventually, I think we'll get remastered sets. Uh, but with that being said, I thought of some ideas on what would be a better compilation. Um, you know, uh, going back to the 90s, this was sort of that first wave of box sets. Um, deluxe editions started to pop up later. Now, there might have been the bonus tracks. Maybe that was starting to surface. But box sets um, were really kind of gaining in popularity. Um, you know, again, we'll talk about uh, James Brown later. But uh, things like, you know, Bob Dylan's uh, Biograph, that box set. Uh, you want to talk about the purple box. You know, we're talking years later. So around 2000, uh, the Jimi Hendrix estate uh, released a box set, which is um, loosely, not officially titled, but loosely called the purple box. And it's a, a purple box, standard box set format. Um, you know, Jimi Hendrix experience on the cover of the box. Uh, something I'm still interested in picking up. Uh, it was released in 2000. And then uh, when they licensed their masters to uh, Sony, then it was reissued again, I think around 2011, I think. Um, but yeah, you know, as far as a template for uh, what a Prince box set could be. Um, but yeah, so these are sort of three ideas of what could substitute the hits one and two because uh, again it's not it's not a popular thing now again if you're sort of a casual fan or if you're a newbie um, I would recommend picking up the vinyl 
uh, when it's released. Um, if the CDs or the original set uh, with the hits and the B-sides. Um, to me, it's one of the top tier still uh, compilations to get. Uh, I know there's for, uh, Prince Forever. Um, it has quite a few tracks that we would have loved to have had on the hits and the B-sides. Um, and that's another good one. Uh, the Prince Ultimate. Uh, that's another good set. Uh, it's kind of a truncated CD of hits. But then there's a second disc that has like the extended tracks of some hits. And the extended tracks of some B-sides. You know, that we've all grown up with or have just come to love over the decades. So there's some stuff out there that I recommend. But now that we have the Prince Estate kind of, I don't know, you know, they're kind of, they're planning. You know, they're planning something. We don't know what, but they're planning something. <laughs> so moving forward, and I would probably say maybe after the Netflix documentary, We'll really start to see some interesting stuff. So hopefully these are some ideas. Um, number one, again, it's a box set and I would call it the real purple box. <laughs> um, and this box set would be a career spanning box set with the hits, vault tracks, you know, some originals, uh, live tracks, demos. You know, uh, what your standard box set has been, you know, since the 90s. And, you know, back then, I don't know if this was anything official, but to me, it looked as if when you had legacy artists like um, Dylan or maybe later Hendrix, there would be this release of a box set. And it would have the tracks remastered or alternate mixes. It would have demos, live tracks, the whole nine. And it basically just kind of were teasers for whatever big reissue campaign or remaster campaign that would come later. So usually it would be the box set first and then probably a remaster of the original albums. And then... You know, there were things on the box set, like, you know, a certain live performance that was taken from a legendary show or just something that the curators of the project thought would be very interesting. And you go, wow, I wonder what that whole concert would sound like. So down the road, you would get that standalone live release or, you know, you would get a compilation of an era of certain, you know, album sessions and things like that. Just, you know, depending on the, the legacy artists at the time. And, you know, now we're kind of like in this sort of box set fever, which now it's more super deluxe editions because to me, super deluxe editions pertain to an album. So you would have the original album and anything connected with the recording of that. So outtakes, alternate takes, alternate mixes, unreleased material, stuff like that. So, but I would say, you know, I would love to see just a box set that would cover the entire career of Prince and include all of those things, you know, the vault tracks, B-sides, originals, 
live tracks, the whole bit. So that's one idea. The second idea would be an era spanning or era spanning volumes documenting a range of sessions. So with this one, I guess the template would be kind of what you see with a lot of the Bob Dylan stuff where say if it's the you know the blonde on blonde sessions and i think is it bringing it on home is that before blonde on blonde uh but anyway but those sessions between like 65 and 66 then there will be this like two disc or three disc or maybe more i know blood on the tracks is another one that was like a multi-disc um set just covering those sessions for that album while the original album itself would be remastered and sold as a standalone release so you had stuff for the the deep cut fan and you had stuff for your mainstream audience that worked and for somebody like prince i think that would be a way to go because i don't think that every single prince album needs a um, super deluxe edition um probably the biggest example would be the you know come gold experience into emancipation it would be next to impossible because all of those sessions tended to overlap so it would make better sense to come out with a compilation set that would you know basically just uh cover those years and include that material and then any other bonus material So um, that would be a pretty good idea. Uh, number three would be a compilation in the style of the Beatles 1962 to 1966 and the 1967 through 1970, most commonly known as the Red and Blue albums. And if you kind of take a look at the show notes it's kind of like little pieces of a mock-up cover I did to kind of illustrate what a Prince version of that would look like. Uh, I guess in the case of Prince, though, you would need like about three or four albums each <laughs> for that one. But the format, uh, because uh, with that red and blue album with the Beatles, you had, yeah, the hits... But it was like mostly in their case, the deep cut tracks and maybe some of the B-sides. And then too, some of those B-sides were number one like the A-side as well. But but something like that. And I think it would better suit Prince if you're going to release that. Again, like I said, the hits, the one and two, that's fine if you're the casual fan or if you're a completist. You know, you're new to it. It does kind of give you just about everything, but it only cuts off at around 1993. And I think if you're going to do any type of compilation from here on out, it has to represent the entire career. It has to. Yeah, granted, the 80s are that really super heavy foundation because without it, 
you don't get to your favorite whatever of the 90s. You don't get to your favorite whatever of the 2000s. You have to have that uh, solid classic era foundation. You know, it's kind of like, you know, if there are people that listen to, say, only anything that Stevie Wonder did after 1987 and ignore the classic material. Granted, Stevie Wonder had major hits in the 60s before the classic 70s material. But that entire found it doesn't work without that classic era being the glue to it. Yeah, so I would think that you would have to have something that represents the entire body of work. You know, in order for it to you know, to move forward because, you know, you do unfortunately have a beginning, a middle and an end to his career. And there was so much evolution. There was so much, like I said, to, to debate, you know, the nineties stuff, there was some great stuff in the nineties. There wasn't some great stuff in the nineties. There was great stuff in the two thousands and maybe not so great stuff in the two thousands. But it needs to to air out because, you know, not only for people that have loved that material for as long as it had been out, there's people discovering it for the first time and may gravitate towards something a little bit later as opposed to the, you know, the other stuff. But that's basically three possible ideas that can replace the hits one and two moving forward so a box set you know has everything you need covers the entire career in about four or five six seven discs or you could do era spanning volume so you could do the 93 to 96 sessions um you can kind of repackage you know we have our sign of the time super deluxe edition but you can also kind of do a compilation down the road that's like, hey, these are the sign of the time sessions and making an amalgam of Crystal Ball and Dream Factory and whatnot. And, you know, something like that. Um, or you can do a compilation, like I said, like the Beatles Red and Blue album. You know, a format like that would easily work for Prince. And like I said, knowing, you know, if Prince was still around and decided to do something similar it wouldn't be limited to two discs per project you know it would be 1978 to 1993 that could be three or four discs right there and then 1994 to 2016 then that's three or four discs and like I said you can cover a lot of ground with that number of discs but what do you guys think um, are you excited about owning the hits one and two? Uh, I'm going to go more deep into it, uh, next episode, uh, about the compilation itself. Um, but you know, was it your favorite? Um, would you like a physical copy of a reissue? You know, it's going to be on vinyl, I think for the first time in a long time or would you like some of the other ideas? Box set, aerospanning volumes, 
compilation like the Red and Blue album? Hey, let me, leave me a comment and let me know your thoughts. All right, so we're going to move on to the Purple Pieces segment. And the Purple Pieces is a segment where just kind of whatever's happening in the purple musical singularity, you know, could be, let's see, we covered Morris Day, his retirement last couple of episodes, he's dropping a new album soon. I uh, did the pre-order on Amazon, but if you go to his website and pre-order there, you will get an autograph copy. So I might go check that out myself too. So um, this week, going to talk about Ida Nelson has a European tour. And Ida Nelson was the bass player in the Third Eye Girl band that was back in Prince, uh, sort of the later years of his life. And I think even earlier than that, as a member of the uh, NPG, uh, that lineup from, I think, 2010, 2011, and maybe even earlier. Uh, but she will be going on tour. And actually, she's already on tour, which actually started October 6th. Uh, at Ronnie Scott's in London. And as this episode is being recorded, uh, the next date will be October 18th at the Ersprung, and that will be in Rostock. So if you're in that area, by all means, check it out. Uh, the tour will will run all the way until November 13th. Uh, it will end at the Q Factory in Amsterdam. So check it out. Uh, for additional information, go to www.bellaconcerts.com and get your tickets because she's going to bring the funk. Uh, looks like she's got a band behind us. It's Ida Nielsen and the Funk Bots. So by all means, go check it out. And if you check it out, leave me a comment on the show. Let me know if you enjoyed it. Um, you know, what tunes were done? What was the set list? And, you know, let me know your thoughts on that one. And the other item this week uh, the Prince Immersive Experience uh, that has been extended through January 1st of 2023. Um, I've heard a lot about this exhibit. Um, a lot of the other podcasters and journalists in the Purple Musical Singularity have had a chance to go. Um and seen and heard a lot of good things. I would like to check it out myself. Um, but, like I say, you know, um, even though, you know, you haven't heard me reference the essentially non-essential essential gig, because that is now in the rearview mirror, but I don't know if I want to call it rebuilding a team or creating a new franchise but things are better but 
it's going to kind of take a minute before I can kind of enjoy, you know, certain things uh, for the moment. So I, unfortunately, I'm still going to miss out on January 1st. Hopefully they can extend it even further, even better yet. Let it have, you know, let it come to my town or your town because uh, I do want to check it out for sure. Um, but I'll leave a link in the show notes for that. Um, but by all means, check it out when you get a chance. And that will be Purple Pieces for this week. And from there, we're going to move on to the flashback segment. And the flashback segment, uh, focus on a particular memory, hopefully something that was recent. Uh, in the case of this week's um, Dirty Mind is celebrating its 42nd anniversary. As Fred Sanford would say, a lot of years, a lot of years. (laughs) And, you know, listeners to Amari Purple Talk will know this was my gateway into the purple musical singularity. I won't go too deep into that origin story, but if you're a longtime listener, you know the story well. Um... But, you know, this was the one. I mean, I had heard Soft and Wet, um, but again, that was, you know, back in the day. um, And it was during a block. The DJ would play a block of songs. And every time that came on, you know, I would have missed who was singing it. So I fell in love with that track. Um, But then later there was, you know, I Want to Be a Lover and Why You Want to Treat Me So Bad and I've heard those, but at the time I just wasn't really quite feeling it. And then I hear the Dirty Mind, which um, the album was released on December 8th of 1980. I didn't hear it until the summer of 81. And, you know, basically, yeah, I mean, it, you know, it changed my listening experience forever. Uh, listening to that album um you know kind of back in the day you know i was you know jackson five or jackson's earth wind and fire stevie wonder rick james p-funk you know a little bit of cameo and and all the solar records stuff you know lakeside shalimar the whispers i was that that was kind of my lane and I mean, you know, I, the Beatles were kind of like maybe the only thing to the left. I mean, I, you know, would listen to a different radio stations, um, but I was very selective in my record buying. So outside of that core R&B and funk, you know, Beatles, Paul McCartney and Wings, you know, that was sort of as far to the left as I went. But, you know, as I was in high school at the time, and this is before MTV even started, um, you know, late nights or late Saturday night, because, you know, again, 14, 15 years old, I ain't had no driver's license, I ain't have a car, (laughs) nothing. So, you know, it was um, on a Saturday night, it would be the Eddie Murphy era of Saturday Night Live and that was on you know of course obviously NBC Channel 5 here 
then you know i would jump to channel 11 which at that time you know still is independent tv station so after saturday night live i would switch over to channel 11 check out three stooges and then that was like about 90 minutes and then when that went off then there was a show called don kirshner's rock concert and it was through that show that you know i kind of got my my gateway into groups like the cars the police uh the pretenders um tom petty and the heartbreakers you know groups like that and you know that kind of expanded my palette a bit um you know they also rock some some black artists too you know um i know shaka khan solo joint with uh i'm every woman that video that's the first time i saw that was on don kirshner's rock concert um then like fast forward a year or so later um she's back with rufus and do you love what you feel i first heard it on that show so that was sort of my lane so listening to dirty mind it was kind of like okay let me check this cat out and you know really listen and what i was hearing was different from what i was hearing from the first two albums he had and to kind of tie it into what i was talking about with the whole don kirshner thing and the cars and the police and the pretenders and all of that that first track dirty mind you know and it had that kind of new wave sound to it um you know so i was like okay you know got that sound like some cars or something like that like okay i like that and then you get when you were mine it kind of had that little beatles thing to it and it was like oh okay he can he can do that too okay i'm kind of impressed and i dug um you know do it all night that that grooved uh got a broken heart again was nice and it kind of had that weird you know because that one and i think stuff on controversy there would be certain songs that would just end weird you know these weird sound effects you know it'd be you know you listen to the song and then all of a sudden it fades out and then it's like <laughs> or something like that and i was like okay that's he's he's being different he's being different and then you flip it over and you hear uptown and i'm like okay that kind of rocks and kind of as the decades have gone by, you know, I can kind of hear that little Stones influence, you know, kind of mixed with the little new wave synthesizers. I was like, okay, yeah. And then, like I said, I dug that song too, but it was Head that really solidified it, you know. That was the one, because he went hardcore funk, you know, he brought the funk. And I'm like, okay, that's it. And that was the one that just hooked me forever you know um of course sister you know again with the little punk influence and stuff and then party up that was kind of a groove too and kind of had a little anti-war message you know which was you know i was into that too you know through listening to like the beatles and stuff and i was like okay you know this was the complete literally the complete package and i'm like yes that is nice <laughs> That is nice. Okay, so that was my gateway. And, you know, even 
42 years later, it still sounds fresh to me. Um, if you haven't seen my CD versus vinyl comparison, uh, by all means, check out the Amari Communications channel on YouTube where you can see that. That's the only place where you can see that. Um, but yeah, you know, um, as far as, I mean, I still have the original vinyl, um, which is primarily my go-to. Um, I used to have the original CD, but, you know, no more. But I did buy the Sony reissue. And I do like the bass on that reissue and the original vinyl. And uh, there was a listener um, that made a comment from a previous episode, um, or actually one of the comments on the CD versus vinyl, uh, to check out a 2011 vinyl pressing. So I'm going to check that out um, and then do another comparison video for that. Uh, but yeah, just listening to that album, it still sounds fresh. And it still is able to take me back to summer of 81, listening to it. And, you know, just a reminder of like, okay, you know, this is, you know, this is somebody to follow. You know, where, you know, I always studied like the, you know, what was going on in the 1950s and the 1960s. And granted, like I said, we did have P-Funk and we did have the Jacksons. We had Earth, Wind & Fire. We had Stevie Wonder. But, you know, I don't think that there was, you know, they were revolutionary in their own right. But like I said, given the age that I was, I couldn't appreciate, you know, say, while at six, yeah, Superstition was funky as hell in 1972. But I couldn't pick up on how revolutionary that was in real time. You know, I had to look back at hindsight and go, oh, wow, that was a game changer. Where, you know, at six, it felt like part of the landscape. You know, which is what I think a lot of Prince fans, when they pick out a certain era based on when they first jumped in it was part of the landscape that kind of altered your perception or something but yeah it's a you know listening to it like i said it has that that freshness and like i said this was becoming an artist to where like oh now i know how kids in the 50s and the 60s were feeling you know when they were here and say little richard or elvis or whoever for the first time chuck berry for the first time or the Beatles or, you know, Motown or whatever was going on. You know, we were starting in the 80s, that generation to kind of have our own heroes like that. So that, you know, Dirty Mind was the beginning. You know, he found his style. He found his lane and, you know, it was the fast lane and he carried that fast lane for many decades to come. So definitely you know, uh, if you don't have the Dirty Mind album, I say that is definitely one to have in your collection. But also, too, what do you think? Um, you know, were you around when it first came out? Did you discover it later? 
leave me a comment and let me know your thoughts on that. All right, and so we're going to move on to the spotlight. And spotlight basically covers, it could be an album, it could be a video, it could be a movie, an associated artist, or in this particular case, an artist that has had great influence on Prince, and that is James Brown. And today's spotlight will be the box set titled Star Time, and that was released in May of 1991. And again, this was sort of, like I said, box sets were starting to really take off during this period. Uh, but for me, what was significant, this was to me like the first black artist, the first solo black artist. Because I think you might have had like Motown. I don't know if that or if that came later where they had a box set. But usually with black artists, it was a thing of like it was Motown. So you had all these various artists because it was the label and they produced all these great artists or Atlantic Records. You know, they had a box set. Uh, but again, it was all various artists because it was all of those artists that had a had an impact you know, for, you know, over decades. But while you were seeing Bob Dylan or this group or that group, you know, mainly rock groups or country groups, you know, James Brown to me, Elvis, I think later got a, I don't know about the same time, or a little bit later, a few years later. But again, James Brown to me was the single first black artist to get that box set like that and you know um i grew up in an era which you know quest love calls mustache james era the 70s you know where you know good foot was the number one record get on the good foot was the number one record uh and i think that coincided with that appearance on soul train uh that you see either between 70 two and 74 i think he made quite a few appearances but you know i remember that being a big deal and that him being such a you know fabulous performer you know dynamic performer you know he was mr dynamite he was soul brother number one the godfather soul the minister of the super heavy funk and you know and i was right right on through there you know payback my thing, you know, those things were, you know, still on the, you know, at, on the radio at that time, you know, 73, 74. But I think kind of by the late 70s, I know definitely into the 80s, again, like I said, you know, here's Prince coming in and kind of changing the game. But, you know, that was for my generation right there. And, you know, it was like, you know, James got mad respect, but, you know, it was just kind of like out of sight, out of mind because the records weren't coming so frequently or they weren't getting as much airplay or any airplay, you know, by the, the 80s. I know there was living in America, but to me, while that was OK, it's to me, it doesn't quite stand up to anything from 50s, 60s, 70s. 
And, you know, like I said, just kind of lost touch. Now, hip hop never lost touch, you know, because they were mining the breakbeats, you know, from the very beginning. But, you know, as I'm kind of moving into 87, 88, you know, and hearing, you know, Rakim or Public Enemy and, you know, Marley Mall and their use of the samples. Then it was like, oh, yeah, James. OK, yeah, he's still. And then, you know, right around the same time, he James Brown comes back with that record with uh, Full Force titled, um, you know, I'm Real. You know, better take my voice off your record till I'm paid in full. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, you know, so it was, you know, he was back on the radar. And then unfortunately, like not long after that, then, you know, he was incarcerated. But I think, I think the box set came out right about the same time he was released. I can't remember or within a year he was released. Uh, but I know when it was announced, and like I said, just on the stream, no, I take it back. In addition to the strength of all the samples, uh, like I said, I'm living in San Francisco. So this is about 80, yeah, 89, 90, right about that time. And there was the college radio station there and they played the entire uh revolution of the mind album which was it was a live album um basically it's live at the apollo volume three and i think i came in like right in the middle of that somewhere um so i grabbed like a cassette and recorded like the last well no actually about three-fourths of that i was able to get or maybe half of it. And I think between those two things, by the time Star Time was announced, then I was like, yeah, it's time to get back into some, it's time to get back into some James Brown. And, you know, me, you know, kind of still somewhat of a musician at that time as well. It was like, yeah, it's, it's time to do some homework. <laughs> It's time to do some homework. And I remember getting that set. And, you know, it stayed with me. And like I said, you know, back then it was box set. And then not long after that, within the next couple of years, you know, his back catalog was slowly being reissued. And, you know, I started snatching up cds <laughs> so to speak um you know just amazing and this the star time box set it starts uh with the very earliest stuff like you know please 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 the very first hit uh but there's other amazing stuff from the 50s uh try me lost someone bewildered um then uh there's i don't mind uh, which is from Live at the Apollo, the very first one, uh, which was the biggest selling live album, I think, uh, ever at that point, in like 1962. And then, you know, disc two, three, and four, you know, it's that, you know, starting with Papa's Got a Brand New Bag and I Got You and, 
you know, and this is, you know, where he was, he hadn't quite invented funk yet, but you could see the, the foundations being built and just how he arranged things, you know, the musical arrangements, um, you know, it was there from the beginning, but beginning with cold sweat, you know, that's the one or Papa's got a brand new bag. I think maybe that was more the first one, but cold sweat is, you know, where the actual formula was built. And like I said, there's, you know, it's timeless, you know, it's there, the one, you know, he invented the one and it's there, you know, and it stays with you. And, you know, you can hear that influence in Prince's work. You can see that influence with Michael Jackson. Um, you know, you got those stories with Prince, um, which was accurately depicted in the musicology video, you know, with the kid playing sort of young Prince. But that's based on a actual memory. You know, it's based on an actual memory. Um, you know, Prince going and buying the latest James Brown singles and, you know, putting the records on the handlebars and he's riding home and they're, you know, kind of spinning as he's riding home, you know. Um, Michael Jackson, you know, the, the Jacksons, you know, Joe worked those boys very early in life to where, you know, they had the opportunity and this is before Motown even opening for Jackie Wilson and opening for James Brown and you know maybe while the brothers were napping or goofing off or being silly or doing whatever Michael was right there when James would be on the stage watching every move you know or watching Jackie Wilson every move and absorbing that you know absorbing it so you know james brown's influence is undeniable you know the one he invented that and it's you know and it's all in that box set and alan leeds um like i said i thought you know okay alan leeds i remember that name you know he's worked with prince and or was working with prince at the time and then there's oh he did the liner notes and come to find out that he had worked with James Brown before working with Prince. And it was like, oh, wow. And, you know, what I wish someone was able to do, you know, we now, we have Dwayne Tudhall now that's doing it. But, you know, it would have been cool if Alan Leeds had the same type of access with Prince's stuff as he did with James Brown, because basically, you know, he has that stuff archived, you know, so every James Brown reissue, uh, there were liner notes, um, or, you know, if he didn't do the liner notes, he was there with the facts, he was there with the dates, because he had all that information written down. Um, there's a set that's very hard to find now. Uh, you know, hopefully the James Brown family there, as Prince would say, they're free now. They own their masters. Um, I know they made some kind of a deal, I think with Primary Wave too, or for, I forget with who, um, for 90 million or something. But 
I think they still call the shots. You know, I think they they're still the decision makers in the process. But um, I think before all of that, I think while the estate was in a, you know, all the fighting over the will and stuff, or who gets what, uh, there had been this uh, singles, um, James Brown uh, singles. I know I only got a few or like two or three, maybe four uh, physical media. And then there's some things I have digitally. I purchased digitally. Uh, but they're compilations of, they're two discs, and they're compilations of just about every single that James Brown had put out, um, starting with the 50s. Um, but the ones I have are like 69, 70, maybe 71, 72. Um, and I think I have 72, 73. And then other things I have digitally, like, um, again, getting into Mustache Era James, you know, 74, 75. And see, I think I might have 67 and 68 in, on physical media. Um, but, you know, Alan Leeds contributes to that. You know, like I said, if he doesn't write the actual liner notes, he's right there with the information. You know, he's credited as providing that information as to what was recorded, when, where, what date, who played on what. You know, uh, good stuff if you can find it. Um, but if you can find the star time, you know, that was sort of, you know, I can't say it was a gateway because James Brown has always been a part of my listening experience. But as far as actual, owning actual physical media or CDs, if nothing else, um, that's definitely, that was a gateway for me. That, I started with that box set, and then then again, as everything was being reissued on CD, uh, I got as much of it as I could. So, I would recommend, if you can find it, definitely check this out. Um, like I said, the liner notes, all the information is there. You know, all the singles, all the albums are listed there. The material is great. The sound is great. Um, yeah, I mean, there's the original version of Papa's Got a Brand New Bag, which is, I forget how long it is, but it's got, you know, Maceo on the, the baritone sax. And, I mean, it grooves. Um, there's also a track called Get It Together, which is, you know, talk about band control. I mean, that band is tight. You know, every musician that's played with James has definitely been on the one. Uh, Cold Sweat, um, you know, Payback is on there. Papa's got a brand new bag. Um, just all the significant hits. Uh, it's like I said, it starts in 1956 and it cuts off about 1983. Cuts off about there, but every track on there you will not be disappointed so definitely check it out and let me know what your thoughts are about it all right and that's going to end the spotlight segment i'm going to move on to twitter questions and you too can participate 
and send in Twitter questions. Um, the links are in the show notes. Um, probably the best way is Twitter at Richard Cole underscore now. Um, you know, topic suggestion, uh, Prince related question, questions about Prince, music, you know, and I will read your question and try to answer it on future episodes. And the first question comes from the Mighty Doof. And Mighty Doof writes, What Prince biography do you recommend most? Especially including the point up to sign of the times. All right, Mighty Doof, thanks for sending that in. And actually, let's see, biographies that include or up to the point of sign of the times. And, you know, there are a number of well-written Prince biographies uh, over the years. Um, sadly, a couple of them are out of print. Actually, two of the better ones. Um, you have Prince, A Pop Life, uh, which was written by Dave Hill. Uh, this was, I don't, for me, like the real first real biography. I mean, although unauthorized. Uh, it came out about 1989. And, you know, before then, you kind of had like these little cookie cutter sort of unauthorized biographies. Uh, the selling point, lots of pictures, you know, lots of great pictures. Um, but, you know, they kind of fed more into the myth than it did the reality. Um, A Pop Life was one of the first that sort of, you know, the person, you know, Dave Hill did his research, um, interviewed, uh, let's see, I think St. Paul was interviewed, Sonny T for sure. Um, and this is before he joined the NPG. So a lot of his commentary wasn't quite so nice, but, you know, but he was telling the real on a lot of stuff as far as, you know, the early days of Minneapolis and things of that nature. So he was, you know, he was representing pretty well, um, but it was pretty good. And that one did go up until the Love Sexy era, like I said, because it was released in 89. So that was sort of the first. Uh, the, probably the second best is Dance, Music, Sex, Romance by Per Nielsen. And this came out, I think, around 2002. Um, this was uh, first visit back to San Francisco in a long time. And let's see, was this, did I get this in? It was a Virgin Music store that was there. It was um, on Powell and Market, uh, which wasn't there when I was living there in the 80s. But uh, that's where I picked this book up from. And I remember I was reading it back on the flight back from San Francisco. And I mean, I couldn't put this book down. Um, this is probably one of the best researched books uh, especially at that point, it was the absolute best researched book. And the other great thing about it was that it really focused 
on the music, um, you know, what was being released. Um, this gave the complete track listing of what the original Crystal Ball album would have been had it not been whittled down to Sign of the Times. And, you know, I created a cassette playlist just based on that alone. But yeah, I was totally blown away by that book. And sadly, those two books are out of print. However, uh, if you're looking for something that's definitely, if you're really into the Sign of the Times era, I would highly recommend Prince and the Parade and Sign of the Times era studio sessions, 1985 and 1986. Uh, this is by Dwayne Tudall. And um, as I was mentioning earlier about how Alan Leeds is the historian, you know, the custodian of James Brown history. I think for Prince, Dwayne Tudhall is that equivalent now. And I would say, you know, pick this book up uh, as well as the previous volume, which is the Purple Rain Era Studio Sessions. Um, both available in hardback. Uh, the paperback uh, for especially Purple Rain Era Sessions, uh, that's an expanded version. I actually have to pick that up. I've got the hardback original um, version. Uh, same with the Parade Sign of the Times era sessions. Uh, but on October 15th, uh, there's going to be a release of the paperback of this edition. Uh, I think it's slightly expanded, uh, but the selling point is, is that there will be a bonus chapter, which will be a preview of the next volume, which covers the Love Sexy era. And decided to pick that one up. But the beauty of both of these volumes, they're not biographies per se, but it's not just limited to day, date, oh, this song was recorded, this person was in the studio, and that's it. And, you know, where most of most of artists where you would have books like that, it covers that. And there's not a lot of anecdotes or drama or stories attached to every single recording. You know, maybe the technical stuff is fascinating, but the beauty with these two volumes is the nature of the research uh, the interviews. So you're really placed in the studio with Prince, with every page of both of these volumes. And, you know, it's, you know, it's just absolutely just, it, it's amazing. Um, especially with the parade sign of the times era, just because of what was going on in Prince's life during that time and a lot of the different changes uh, that were taking place. So you, it's 
it does read more like a narrative that one and even the purple rain one as well because it's not so much as the personal stuff that was going on the story is that this is a soundtrack for a film <coughs> that's being recorded or being or you know the soundtrack for a film that's being recorded and in addition to that he's recording four or five other albums at the same time practically and trying to get this to make sense and work within the context of the film you know this is stand you know standing on the verge of getting it on really for real because you know 1983 we none of us knew what was happening you know or going into 1984 you know we just knew oh prince is making a film but you know we didn't know what type of film that was going to be what it was going to look like what the soundtrack was going to be like and so you kind of get at least on the recording side of things you get that picture and again the way that it's written it's not again just day and date i mean you have a lot of the factual information that's there and that is the meat and potatoes of the book but i think each volume like i said it 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 develops its own narrative it it's organic it's natural and a lot of times it doesn't feel like you're reading a reference book you you know but again at the same time you're not really reading a biography either but again the beauty of it is it does have a narrative that flows uh there's a beginning a middle and end uh to each volume and again more so with the parade sign of the times era book so that's one i would definitely recommend uh another one it's titled The Rise of Prince, 1958 to 1988. Uh, this one was published uh, not long after Prince's passing. And it's written by Alex Hahn and Laura Tebert. Uh, Alex Hahn wrote a book about Prince or biography about Prince uh, around mid-90s called Possessed. And... Again, wasn't as good as Dance Music Sex Romance was. Um, I enjoyed reading most of it. Uh, there was some stories in there that I had never heard before that I thought were interesting. Um, <laughs> like, the you know, the story of how Maserati had recorded Kiss and then Prince was like, this is a hit. I'm taking it back. You know, that cracked me up. I'd never heard that story before reading that book. But um, I don't know. There were some things where I felt the author was a little too critical of him. But with The Rise of Prince, um, there was a lot more research that was done. Um, it's a much better read. Uh, the, you know, especially... Prince's childhood years, early years. Um, it, you know, it works. It it flows a whole lot better than what the book Possessed did. Um, 
a better job. Uh, it does stop at 1988. Uh, I think the intent was to do a second volume. I think this was kind of the Prince equivalent to Last Train to Memphis and Careless Love, which was sort of like the sort of two volume biography of Elvis. Uh, I think this was kind of an attempt to do that. Um, I don't know if there are plans for a book that tells the rest of the story. Um, but yeah, if you're just looking for a pretty good read as far as the biography goes, then I would recommend The Rise of Prince. Um, but also, if you're just interested in the Sign of the Times, then definitely the Parade and Sign of the Times Era Studio Sessions by Dwayne Tudhall. So I think those would be the top two. One final one, although it doesn't cover Sign of the Times, uh, definitely pick up the beautiful ones. Um, like I said, the tragedy is that Prince only got to write 50 pages, but man, those 50 pages, you know, it, you know, it's the most transparent that he has ever been, in my opinion. Um, the introduction uh, by the book's editor, Dan Pippenbring, um, really paints a picture on what this book would have been had Prince been able to complete it. But I, I recommend that as well. Um, like I said, it, it really gives a good glimpse into Prince's early life and it does kind of cut off right there in the middle of high school. You know, he hasn't had his record deal yet. He hadn't had a chance to go in depth about Grand Central or anything, but the the world that's painted in those 50 pages, you know, granted, you know, I know St. Louis has way more black people than Minneapolis does, but I'm telling you, you know, it, it puts you right back in those late sixties, early seventies, and you can relate, you know, you can relate, you know, we all grew up with, you know, just the pictures, the things that he talks about, the atmosphere, what was going on at the time. You know, at some point in our lives, we've all been through that in whether it was the 70s, in my case, maybe late 70s going into the early 80s or, or early to mid 80s. It's a great read. So I, those three, I would definitely recommend that you can actually go out and find. So The Rise of Prince by Alex Hahn and Laura Tebert. Um, Parade and Sign of the Times Era Studio Sessions by Dwayne Tudhall. And The Beautiful Ones by Prince himself. All right. So Mighty Doof, thanks for sending that question in. All right. And we're going to wrap up this episode with one final question uh this one comes from neon rendezvous actually this was snatched off of the prince.org i just thought it was a very interesting question so i thought i would try and tackle it uh the question is will any of the prodigies i guess pro or proteges uh will any of the proteges ever have a proper release or rather re-release yeah, sorry if this has been discussed before. I imagine the estate have rights to the albums 
of Prince's proteges, such as Maite, Apollonia, Vanity Six, Jill Jones, etc. So I'm wondering if those albums will ever be available on streaming services. Or will the official YouTube channel ever upload the music videos we didn't get to see? Or will they forever be lost media for us fans? Alright, so Noon Rendezvous, thank you very much for that question. And right now, we don't know what's going on. Um, the estate, again, because of the sort of transfer of power, uh, you know, going to the actual family members as well as uh, primary wave, even though uh, those family members or surviving family members uh, sold their shares. Uh, I think they still may have some decision making power uh, within the dynamics of that agreement. Um but yeah, they've been very, very quiet. Very quiet. Um, there have been some things which I'll, I'll talk about uh, the next episode uh, that kind of give me some hope uh, that things will be very interesting this, you know, from here on. Um, honestly, I think number one, I think everything right now is kind of being kept quiet until after the Netflix documentary. Uh, again, there's been no official announcement of a release date. Uh, we know it's still in production, um, but there's no official release date. There's no trailer for it. Uh, when there is, actually, I got to step up my video game and learn how to do these uh, reactions. So maybe I'll do a reaction video when a trailer does drop. Uh, but actually, I think that they're going to wait until after that's released. So in 2023 uh, is the best guess on when that documentary will drop. And that is actually my most anticipated Prince project. Period for right now, more than any super deluxe edition any compilation i think even if you drop camille on record store day or the original sequencing of crystal ball the netflix documentary would even beat that so that being said when it comes to the proteges because of i would say what had been going on when comerica bank was sort of calling the shots or appointing people to make certain decisions about what gets released. Now, there's been some great releases. Um, 1999 Super Deluxe, Sign of the Time Super Deluxe, Welcome to America. Um, those were, you know, they were knocked out of the park. Those were, you know, great. Um, originals was sort of the first step in the right direction prior to those three releases. Um, but I think one of the things that didn't quite work out or that I haven't been a fan of is how the, or the protégés have been sort of treated by 
whether it was Comerica Bank or other entities um, to where they had been limited in their input or what or participation or whatever you want to call it um, some things to, from my point of view to where certain people have been sort of blacklisted and well that being said uh, the example of say Moore's Day uh, not being able to use the name the time in any way shape or form you know, even while Prince was alive, granted, the original seven couldn't use the name The Time. Morris, meanwhile, could tour, you know, with whatever current uh, band lineup he has now, could tour as Morris Day and The Time. You know, Prince was cool with that. Uh, but as I guess Comerica was trying to tighten things up for the estate, uh one of the major fallouts is not allowing Morris Day to use the name The Time in any way, shape, or form. Now, I remember kind of going back a little bit, maybe last uh, January of 2021, somewhere around there, not long after, um, Michael Howe, who was the curator of the vault appointed by, I guess, the estate, whether it was Comerica that appointed him or the family members, I'm not sure. But I guess he is that sort of liaison and, you know, makes or one of the people that makes the decisions. And, you know, his interviews, I used to look at him as sort of like, to me, the Kevin Feige of the Prince musical singularity because, you know, he was the one announcing these things like the 1999 Super Deluxe, Time Super Deluxe. Uh, but there was an interview uh, that was on a European podcast. And he was asked about the Protégé albums. And he basically said that yeah, they, they are going to see the light of day. And I mean, we were talking about the time, Vanity Six. <clears throat> and I guess, you know, Shula E and Apollonia Six, uh, the family. And I think by that summer, then we had the release of the first time album on vinyl. That was, um, it was remastered for vinyl and remastered for streaming. <coughs> and Moore's Day at first wasn't included in the marketing or the promotion or even the input. Um, now, granted, I do enjoy the remastered vinyl. Uh, the second LP were the single edits of the singles that had been released for that album. And I know at the time that I bought it, uh, when I did the review, I said that, you know, this, the edits, while I wasn't excited about it prior to the release, uh, once I listened to it, um, it, it took me back to when, before I bought the album, you know, or actually I got the album as a uh, birthday present, but 
um, before I had the album, you know, all I heard were the singles, you know, being played on the radio and the occasional album version on the radio. <clears throat> so it was exciting then, but that novelty kind of wore off. I mean, you know, I think what would have been better is to have the album remastered and then maybe the second disc be like a live show or something. I think that liner notes should have been included, like extensive liner notes. Um, you know, whether they're, you know, interviews with Morris Day and the time, you know, their input, their memories. I think that would have been better. Uh, but then you fast forward to 2022 and you have a lot of missed opportunities um, because of the whole mishap with Morris Day not being able to use the time. We've missed the 40th anniversary of what time is it? You know, that was a reissue I was looking forward to since the drop of the first album reissue and because they did include you know it was kind of last minute for the first album but they did actually let morris day be involved in a lot of the marketing of the the reissue of the first one so i just knew the second one was going to be off the chain it was going to have you know liner notes and maybe some live stuff thrown in there and who knows but that didn't happen you know, um, previously I was watching Twitter celebrate the release, you know, the anniversary of the Vanity Six album. You know, originally those albums were released, I think, about a month apart. And again, no reissue. You know, no remaster. Yeah. Now, like I said, I'm sure that the estate now, like I said, they're planning some very big things. Um, and I think one of the things we have to get past would be the Netflix documentary. Um, then the following year, you'll, you will have the 40th anniversary of Purple Rain. And I've got a feeling that, now again, I don't have any inside information, um, Again, no official word from the estate, no official word from, well, in this case, it would be Warner Brothers. Uh, but I feel that there is going to be a better Super Deluxe Edition for Purple Rain. Now, here's the thing, and hopefully if the estate is listening, because they know they listen to everything I say, you know, they, they've got me on speed dial. But... Um, in addition to, you know, whether they do it before or after they release the Purple Rain Super Deluxe 40th Anniversary, then go ahead and reissue Ice Cream Castles. You know, remaster it. But instead of just vinyl, vinyl and CD, uh, remaster it. Um, you know, have some outtakes on there. You know, maybe... Um, Prince original versions of some of those songs. Um, the studio version of The Bird, which is probably the funkiest thing I've heard uh, 
Um, it's definitely one of the funkiest things. If you haven't heard it, if you can find it on a somewhere, by all means, listen to it. But that's something that should be officially released. Um, definitely check that out. Um, but yeah, Ice Cream Castles. Go ahead and reissue that. Remaster it. Vinyl and CD. You know, vault tracks, original tracks. Um, you know, go ahead and release that live uh, at First Avenue. You know, because that pretty much of that configuration, that was the one and only performance from that particular lineup. So that should be that should be a part of it. Uh, Apollonia Six, go ahead and remaster that. You know, vinyl, CD. You know, you will have our purple croutons for sure. Um, definitely drop that. Uh, and I guess you know, yeah, Chili E. You know, go ahead and. The glamorous life go ahead and reissue that cd you know vinyl uh whatever b-sides bonus tracks you name it uh but yeah definitely start with that because that would coincide with a 40th uh, anniversary and then after that then you know okay 2025 40th anniversary of the family album go ahead drop that but also that same year, go back, reissue, I would say, both the time and what time is it. You know, reissue that Vanity Six and go from there. And then, you know, sorry, Jill. But yeah, after after that, then the Jill Jones album. Of course, I would want that before everything, of course. But like I said, you know, this is this is show business. This ain't friend business. So or, you know. This is business, Jack, and you ain't too far gone to see that coming. But uh, definitely, you know, I that's what I would hope. I would hope that we would see these reissues um, sooner rather than later. And I would say if they do because of the name. I mean, I guess if you really wanted to, you could just dump all of those out, you know, but then, I don't know if it would affect, but like I said, maybe if you did it before the Netflix documentary or sometime after the Netflix documentary has been released, you can kind of do it that way. But I think logically speaking, I think every ounce of energy will have to go into the Netflix documentary and hopefully there's a soundtrack attached to that. Then you're going to lead right into 2024 with the anniversary of Purple Rain but if you do that because you had the time and because you had Apollonia 6 in the film, then by all means, that would be a good place to start with protege reissues. And then 2025, like I said, you could drop the family, go back, release the first two time albums in Vanity 6. Or you could drop all of those, you know, sneak Jill Jones in there too or whatever you know but hopefully they will see the light of day and that or actually what do you think uh do you think we'll see those protege reissues sooner or later um which one is your favorite leave me a comment and let me know your thoughts and that is going to end this episode of amari purple talk thank you once again for tuning in 
Uh, check out the links in the show notes for all points of contact. Send in your Twitter questions. Also, thank you for tuning in to previous episodes. Uh, season four, I'm having a lot of fun and looking forward to more down the road. So until next week, create your day, create your life. Peace. Peace.